Welcome to Fully Invested, a podcast series hosted by Ropes and Grades Global Asset Management Team. Drawing on the perspectives of over 1,400 attorneys from all areas of our practice, we provide insight into essential considerations associated with current and emerging asset management products. I'm Mark Biamonte, a partner in our asset management group based in New York and co-head of our institutional investor practice and our buyout practice. Joining me today is one of my asset management partners, Lindsay Goldstein, also based in New York. We'll start with a brief description of what these products are and how they differ from other privately offered alternative investment products. Lindsay, would you like to kick off our discussion with a quick overview of what a fund of funds is? Happy to. A typical private fund of funds is an alternative investment fund that invests in other privately offered alternative investment vehicles. A fund of funds often has a specific strategy. For example, it may focus on investing in private equity buyout funds, hedge funds, real estate funds, venture capital funds, or credit funds. A fund of funds can really focus on any alternative strategy and be as narrow or broad in its scope as the sponsor likes. Privately offered fund of funds are exempt from registration under the U.S. Securities Act of 1933 and are required to be exempt from registration under the U.S. Investment Company Act of 1940. Therefore, investors in funds of funds generally are required to be accredited investors and qualified purchasers, as those terms are defined under the U.S. securities laws and their related applicable rules. Some sponsors have formed private equity fund of funds products that are registered investment companies under the Investment Company Act of 1940, which, as a result of increased SEC regulation over such funds, allows them to accept investors that are not qualified purchasers and, therefore, market to a broader investor base. These registered fund-to-fund products are beyond the scope of this podcast, but will be a topic of future Ropes and Gray podcasts. Mark, do you want to discuss the different types of investments fund-to-funds typically make? Sure. A typical fund-to-funds will make one or more of three types of investments a primary fund investment, a secondary fund investment, and or a direct co-investment. A primary fund investment is an investment in a privately offered fund made by the fund of funds at the time of original issue by the sponsor of such underlying fund investment. The fund of funds will come into such underlying fund investment like any other investor in such private funds. Because the fund of funds is coming in at the time of original issue, the fund of funds has the ability to negotiate the terms of such investment and may be able to include a side letter as part of its investment. In each case, depending on the leverage such fund of funds may have in connection with such primary investment. A secondary investment can take many forms, but the two most typical are referred to as a plain vanilla secondary investment and a GP-led secondary or recapitalization. A plain vanilla secondary is when a fund of funds buys underlying interests in private funds from other investors in those private funds on the secondary market rather than directly from the underlying fund as part of such underlying fund's original issue. Sometimes sellers of secondary interests will hire a placement agent or other financial intermediary to market private fund interests the seller desires to sell. The fund of funds may purchase one interest in a transaction or it can purchase hundreds of interests in a single transaction with value stretching into the billions. Sales of such interests to a secondary buyer require the consent of the underlying fund general partner. And because the fund of funds is buying an existing interest from another investor, the fund of funds typically has limited negotiating power with respect to the sponsor of the fund interest being purchased, which means it is unlikely to be able to obtain any side letter in connection with such investment. GP-led secondaries or recapitalizations occur when a sponsor sells some or all of its investment in one or more portfolio companies to a continuation vehicle that is managed by the same sponsor, but capitalized by a new investor base. The lead investors in this new investor base are often fund-to-funds. 
On March 30th of this year, Ropes did an entire podcast on fund recapitalization. For additional information on such transactions, I recommend listening to that March 30th podcast, which can be found on the Ropes and Gray website under podcast. Finally, a direct co-investment is a direct, generally minority investment in a portfolio company of a third-party fund. Many underlying funds in which a fund of funds invests will offer co-investment opportunities to its investors to invest alongside its funds, often on a no-fee and no-carry basis. Lindsay, do you want to discuss how we typically see fund-to-fund structured? Sure. Historically, a fund-to-fund sponsor would have a flagship commingled fund that would be established to make primary investments, secondary investments, and co-investments. These funds were designed for investors who wanted to be able to invest in a diversified portfolio of alternative funds, but may or may not have had the ability to make direct investments in each underlying fund on its own, given the often very high minimum investment requirements or other restrictions to access. These funds are often structured with a master fund and a feeder fund to allow different investors with different tax attributes to invest efficiently. With U.S. taxable and super tax-exempt investors investing through the master fund, that is a partnership for U.S. federal tax purposes, and non-U.S. and tax-exempt investors investing through a feeder fund taxed as a corporation for U.S. federal tax purposes. Over time, fund-to-fund sponsors started offering separate accounts to individual investors generally structured as funds of one with a single investor. This allowed the fund-to-fund sponsor to customize the investment strategy for a single large investor to suit such investors' particular needs. Perhaps an investor did not want any primary investments or the investor only wanted co-investments. Any combination around strategy and type of investment was now available to a particular investor. Over the past several years, there has been an explosion of these funds of one at fund-to-fund sponsors. In addition, many fund-to-fund sponsors now have dedicated secondary programs and co-investment programs and offer commingled funds just focusing on that one type of investment. Mark, do you want to discuss things a sponsor of a fund-to-fund should keep in mind when forming such a fund? Yes. Since a fund-to-fund is investing in other private equity funds, the fund-to-fund vehicle needs to have broad LP clawback rights since the fund-to-fund sponsor may not be able to anticipate at the time of its offering what the recall obligations will be for each investment it will make. This is especially true in the secondary investment space where fund-to-funds are not able to negotiate fund terms at the time of its investment. Similarly, fund-to-fund sponsors may not be able to negotiate structural protections with underlying fund investments to guard against potential UBTI and ECI. Therefore, fund-to-funds typically will not provide ECI or UBTI covenants to investors, but will offer a structural solution at the fund-to-funds level that its investors may elect to utilize. Fund-to-fund sponsors also need to have flexible investment allocation policies. Such policies should be able to be updated without investor consent to ensure that such policy can change as the number and types of fund-to-funds products are developed and brought to market, including separately managed accounts or funds of one. Since a fund-to-funds is generally not taking control positions in underlying operating companies and generally is not receiving management rights in connection with its investments, it may not rely on the venture capital operating company exemption most private equity funds rely on to avoid being a fund subject to ERISA. Therefore, a fund of funds must rely on a different ERISA exemption, the so-called 25% test, which in order to avoid being an ERISA fund, a fund of funds must have less than 25% of its investors subject to ERISA. Proper counting of the ERISA assets is critical and acceptance of ERISA investors may need to be staged over time to avoid violating this limitation. Also, fund-to-fund sponsors should think carefully about conflicts of interest and their disclosure to investors. 
As the fund of funds manager grows, conflicts among the various funds they manage may increase. And sometimes, especially with funds of one, one fund may have contractual terms that could be materially different from a commingled fund alongside which you'd invest. And sponsors want to be sure they have the flexibility to manage those conflicts and differences in ways that do not limit or slow their investment activity. Lindsay, what should investors think about if they are considering investing in a fund of funds product? Fund of funds offer a number of advantages to investors, including expertise in evaluating investments in underlying funds, relationships with top managers and access to funds which would otherwise be limited to large institutional investors, and diversification. The cost for these benefits is an incremental layer of fees. An investor in a fund of funds will directly be responsible for the fund of funds management fee and carried interest, and indirectly responsible for the management fees and carried interest charged by the underlying funds in which the fund of funds invests. However, the management fees and carried interest charged by the fund of funds is less than the fees charged by the funds in which it invests. Given this, a typical fund of funds focused on primary investments generally attracts high net worth investors and smaller institutional investors. On the other hand, secondary only or co-investment only funds of funds attract sophisticated institutional investors of all types as they add these niche strategies to their portfolio. Also, the separately managed accounts or funds of one are popular with sophisticated investors who are able to commit large amounts of capital to such vehicles to help round out their alternative portfolios. A fund-to-funds investor should be prepared to be on the hook for an LP clawback term that could last for multiple years past termination of the fund-to-funds itself. This is because a fund-to-funds is often not in a position to move the needle on underlying fund terms, and therefore the fund-to-funds terms must be broad enough and, in the case of the LP clawback, lengthy enough to cover the broadest and longest corresponding provisions of the underlying funds. Finally, it can be challenging for an investor in a fund of funds to negotiate specific excuse rights. As noted, a fund of funds may be limited in its negotiating leverage, and therefore, it will often need to adopt one version of its own excuse requests of underlying funds, for instance, related to alcohol, tobacco, or weapons, and that version will need to be acceptable to each of its own investors. There's a lot to think about when considering launching a fund of funds product or investing in one. With the growth of popularity in secondary investments and co-investments, we've seen many alternative asset managers adding fund-to-fund platforms to their offering. Thank you, Lindsay, for joining me today for this discussion. Thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning into the Ropes and Gray Fully Invested podcast series. Please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com backslash asset management, or feel free to reach out to any of us at Ropes and Gray by email or phone for more information. You can also subscribe and listen to the Ropes and Gray series wherever you typically listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.